Well, good morning. Good to see you today. Welcome home. We are so glad that you're here and you are with us today. I'm excited to start this new series called Be Generous. It's the best way to live. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. And I want to share with you today, this is a pillar uh, series in the life of our church. It's something that we will, re- will repeat once a year. And essentially, it's what we call a stewardship series which is a a boring word for basically the things that as believers we're called to do to advance the gospel. In other words, the things God calls us to do to reach people and to resource the church in in order to do that. And one of the things that I'm excited about with this series is in talking to my peers or my contemporaries, anytime you have to do a, a stewardship series, most people in my position don't like doing it because, uh, people don't like to hear it. And also it's something usually that churches struggle with. But what's so exciting about our church is that this is a fun series to do uh, because we get to celebrate the fact that one of our strengths as a church is what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. That's what makes it so fun for me to be able to talk about is because we are a generous people. God is just using all kinds of people uh, to be generous. Have you ever thought about what really speaks to a person, what really gets their attention? It's generosity. And that's one of the things that we're going to celebrate uh, today. When you think of the word generous, uh, when you look at the definition of it, it's simply, this is kind of a, just a paraphrase definition, it's giving more than is expected or required. Let's say that together. Giving more than is expected or required. In other words, God is calling us to do more than just the minimum. He's calling us to do more. I used to wait tables when I was in college at at Pizza Hut my freshman year of school. And it would always speak to me, not just financially, that somebody would give me a more than, you know, regular tip. But it always meant something to me that someone would be generous that way. If you think of people in your life that go the extra mile, whether it was a teacher or a coach or a friend, oftentimes they were generous with you in ways that maybe other people um, aren't. See, generosity, the, the origins of it, it comes from God's nature at work in us. That's why it stands out, because it's not the normal. And that's one of the things that we have seen this church do for many, many, many years is to have a heart of generosity. See, generosity is a very important indicator that God's Spirit lives in you. Read that with me. Generosity is a very important indicator that God's Spirit lives inside of you. One of the things that's exciting about our church is that we have a bus ministry. And we have for many, many years, dating clear back into the 80s, I think, probably. And we've always done that. And it's one of those things that a lot of times churches are getting out of the business of doing because it's messy and it requires lots of volunteers and all those kinds of things. But our church has generously been engaged in that ministry for years and years and generously send teens and and children to camp. And because of that generosity, we've seen a lot of changed lives. Because this church has been generous over the years and said we want to actually go and make a difference in people's lives, there was a fourth grade boy that got on a bus 
10, 15 years ago. I was an ornery kid. Really ornery kid. And we began to love on that kid along with lots of other kids. And invest in that kid. And at some point that child had a call on his life. And went to Mid-American Nazarene University and um, majored in youth ministry and came and interned at our church because of the generosity of people reaching out. And last week, that kid, who is not a kid, I call him a kid, is, is, is a man. His name's Garrett Stalder, and we hired that kid that rode our bus full-time just this last week to be the youth pastor at our church. Let's give God a hand. That is awesome. Because we invested in something that's difficult to do. Another generous way that our church has stepped out of the box is you don't see a lot of churches buy a house over here and invest in a ministry that there was nothing going on prior. We purchased this house over here. You voted to do that. And uh, Pastor Age has kind of been slowly transitioning into that role. And as a result of that, the, the ministry's been growing. And, and we're seeing some great things happen over at the homestead. So now Age is able to move full-time into college and go after Pittsburgh State University in a way that we've not been able to do as a church because of your generosity. Give yourselves a hand. That is awesome. See, generosity, it's an indicator that God's Spirit lives inside of you. It's not normal. There's times where I'll do the dishes and I'll say, hey, Wit, do you see I did the dishes? And she said, yeah, you want a pat on the back for just doing what you're supposed to? Do you want me to give me a pat on the back every time I fold towels? There's lots of churches that do different things, but when we do something above and beyond, not what's expected like cleaning the house or the normal things that we're supposed to do, but when we go above and beyond, that's what speaks to people's heart. That's what Jesus knew. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 for just a little bit today. If you want to go there, you can. But Jesus is trying to explain to them what this looks like. And there's these expert teachers in the law. And, and one of them asked Jesus, basically, how do, you, how do you get to heaven? How do you inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks the question. He's always asking questions. Does it ever bother you when you want an answer and you say, what do you think? And instead of them just telling you, they ask you a question? That's annoying. But it's effective. And Jesus says, well, what does Moses' law say? And they say in Luke chapter 10, they say, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right. And then one of them, I don't know if they're being a smart aleck or they being sincere, but basically one of them, trying to trap him a little bit, says, well, who's your neighbor? Instead of just telling them, he tells them this story. It's a famous story that if you were a child in Sunday school, you've heard a million times. It's a story if you've ever read a child's story to your own child, you've told this story before. But it's an amazing story of what generosity looks like. 
Jesus answers them when they ask, who is your neighbor with this? A Jewish man. Remember that? A Jewish man. Was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits, robbers, thieves. And they they strip him of his clothes, and they beat him up. And they leave him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest comes along. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Priest, a rabbi. By chance, meaning that this guy is wounded and he's beat up. He's beside the road. And good news, about the time that he's beat up, a pastor, a scholar, a person of the cloth, a a person who teaches about the love of God, passes by, by chance. But he sees the man lying there. And he must have been on the same side of the road in the parable as the man that was beaten up and wounded because the Scripture says that when he saw the man lying there, let's read the next few yellow words, he crossed and he passed him by. Now, the religious scholars, I don't know what they were thinking, but they're already not liking this story. And then they see an assistant, an associate pastor, a temple assistant, who walks over, he also sees this, this lame person, this wounded man, and he's already better than the pastor because he at least walks to the side of the road that the man's on, and he sees him lying there. He goes up and he, and he, and he looks and he sees what's going on there, and he also passes him by on the other side of the road. This is what Jesus says when they ask him, who's your neighbor? And then, a despised Samaritan. Now remember, we're going to flip back for just a second. Who's the person that's wounded? He's Jewish. And a despised Samaritan. Jesus uses this example. If you're, if you, just as a quick reminder, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. The Jews didn't see the Samaritans of of being worthy of the kingdom of God. They weren't God's chosen people, and and they passed judgment on them, and they just didn't get along. It's like the Hatfield and the McCoys. They did not get along. Jesus could have picked anybody else. He's trying to prove a point, and why would he use them? Because that's going to get him sidetracked, but that's exactly what he does. There's a wounded man beside the road who's Jewish, and a priest and a temple assistant who are thought of with a good reputation, they walk by and this guy that no one likes, the Samaritan, comes along and he sees the man and he, let's read those two yellow words. He felt, he felt compassion for him. Jesus is turning the kingdom of God upside down in this story. Who's your neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. Going over to him, the Samaritan man soothes his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandages them. Well, that's a great story. Jesus isn't done. Then he put the man on his, what? Own donkey. One of the things I appreciate about our worship leader, Brian, is he's a nice guy, and he would never admit this. But if me or any of us went up and tried to play his guitar, he probably wouldn't say anything, but inside he'd be like, don't get your hands off my guitar. <laughs> Brian, am I right? Yep. Those of you who like to ride motorcycles, 
You might be a Christian, but if I got on your motorcycle without you asking, you probably would have a problem with that. I'm the same way with food. (laughs) I don't like people eating off my plate. Now, I don't know if this guy thought that his donkey was like a motorcycle or a guitar or food, but there's probably a good chance those donkeys were kind of the only way you can get things done. And and he takes this this Jewish man who that he doesn't get along with, and he puts him on his donkey, and he takes him to an inn, and he takes care of him. Well, that's great. Good story. Jesus isn't done. See, what was the definition we said of generosity? Doing more than is expected. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper, boy, this is hard here, handed the innkeeper what? Money, right? Two silver coins. Two silver coins, and he tells him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. End of story. And then Jesus says, this is the drop the mic moment. Now, you asked me who my neighbor is. You asked me what the key is to eternal life. Which of these three, because I know one of them you hate, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Your pastor, who wouldn't give him the time of day, the associate pastor, who went over and looked at him but didn't have much to do with him, Or the person who doesn't go to church that you don't care for, doesn't look right, doesn't smell right, doesn't fit your mindset, which one? And rather than saying the Samaritan, because that would be too much, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, now go and do the same. See, why I'm excited for this series is because many of us are doing that thing. It's generosity that gives us a platform to share God's love with people. Think of someone you respect in your life. They have a platform. They can say things to you that other people can't say because you respect them because of what they've done or what they've said or probably a combination of both. Generosity gives people a platform To share God's love. We see in this story several things we can learn about being generous and not being generous. First of all, when we encounter this priest in this story, we see some some scary things because the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, all of us aspire probably to be the Samaritan, but the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, all of us have been the priest. Sees a need. Sees a wounded person. Sees the kids starving in Africa on the television. And we pass them by, figuratively or literally. You see, religion lets you pass by on the other side. But a relationship with God won't let you get away with that. 
religion lets you pass by on the other side of the road. See, religious know a lot of things. They know all the right verses. They've read their Bible through a hundred times. They were an excellent quizzer when they were a kid. But if that's all they ever are is a bunch of knowledge. They just know stuff. They can quote the Bible backwards and forwards. They, they don't ever miss church. They're, they're, they're here when it's snowing. They're here when it's not. They're, they're always here. They might even serve. But when it comes to getting messy and getting their clothes dirty and being compassionate, nope. But when we encounter the real McCoy, the real Jesus, and he changes our hearts, two things always happen. We either stop when we see the person who's wounded or we feel bad when we don't and we try to make it right the next time or go back and fix it. Because I'm going to be honest with you. There's times where because I have a walk with God, I, I see that person beside the side of the road and maybe I don't stop right away, but I don't feel good about it or I'm busy and I don't see him. And then later on, God reminds me that I should have stopped and then I have to deal with that. But religion lets you pass them by and never give another thought. We see the temple assistant as well. He's better than the priest. He walks over and he looks. The temple assistant kind of represents people who probably attend on a regular basis and maybe even have gone on a trip to El Salvador or they've, they've done something. They believe in the gospel. They've even gone all the way up to the edge. They didn't jump off, but they've gone all the way up to the edge of what it means to serve and get involved. And, and if it doesn't cost them a lot, but I've got a schedule. See, walking over and looking at the wounded won't cut it, Jesus is saying in this story. And then, of course, we see the Samaritan. The person who maybe knows the Bible backwards and forwards, just because you know the Bible backwards and forwards doesn't mean you're a bad person. Who attends church their whole life or maybe just started or maybe just has a good heart and is curious about what it means to follow God. They feel compassion and they go over and they begin to, to soothe wounds. And they give up their own donkey. Generosity takes up your time. See, your schedule can be adjusted when your eyes are on the wounded. I shared in the first service, if you bat second in the lineup, that's pretty good. If God is second on your list, he's not like fifth, 
some kind of idols ahead of God, whether it's your kids or your your plans or something. You're, God's not first, but He's second. He's not way down on the list. He's second. Even with God second on your list, you won't do this. The, the, but the wounded aren't just for those who don't have time commitments to keep. I think that the priest, the temple assistant, and the Samaritan all did have one thing in common. They were going somewhere trying to keep some type of schedule. It wasn't in their budget to stop and address the wounded person. And sometimes we leave the wounded for those who have less to do. Can I tell you, ministry is not just for the retired and the pastors. Ministry is for all of us to get involved in. You see, Samaritans, meaning those who stop and help, they feel a moral responsibility, a stewardship. The same way as parents, you feel a moral responsibility to teach your children to brush their teeth, to get out of bed, to go water their dog or water their cat or or to say thank you or to not eat like heathens at the table or to say they're sorry when they're wrong. There's some moral responsibilities that no one else is responsible for with your kids or your grandkids or whoever's in your house other than you. And they feel a moral responsibility to the wounded even when it takes up, and I use this adjective correctly, precious time. I don't know if this is true, but I can't imagine another time in history where people were more busy than people are today. And that does not exempt us from reaching out to lost people. We are called as a church to love our neighbor by being generous with our time. Jesus tells this story and says to these religious experts and to us today, go and do the same. What's exciting is, is that we're seeing that happen. One of the neat things is, is I'm sometimes the last person to find out when something happens. There's so much ministry taking place independently of, of leadership in the church trying to make it happen. People are just doing stuff. The other day I was, we were sitting, our church has a, a board and we were sitting having a, and our board meetings have turned into just celebrating what God is doing. What's cool is our missions reports, our longest report, which is the way it should be. Instead of arguing over stupid stuff. And I hear this story from Ralph Hauser about a, this is Ralph here, he attends our, our church, he's Go, went to the 8.30 today. This is his wife, Mamie. This is Ralph Rutledge and Dennis. And this lady over here is the woman that we helped. Well, they helped. I'm going to have uh, Adam come and share the story about this. 
Ralph called me the other day and said, hey, pastor, could you come and dedicate this little house that, that they built? And I said, I've got three counseling appointments tonight that I can't get out of because uh, we had originally planned to do it Thursday and there was weather coming in, so it got rescheduled for Wednesday. And I said, Adam might be able to, and Adam was able to. Adam, what did you encounter when you went? Come share that real quick. Yes, uh, Mary is sitting on the on the bed there. Um, and I haven't been part of this project, so I may get a few of the details wrong, but as I understand it, um, Ralph found out about Mary. Uh, she was living in a, an old broken-down trailer outside of Baxter Springs. The roof leaked. The floor was rotting out. She had a, an old wood stove for heat that wasn't really adequate uh, to do what it needed to do. And um, so and her pipes had burst during one of the cold spells we had recently, so she had no water. Uh, she had no transportation to get to town with, and uh, Mary was just about to give up, she said. She said, I was just about to, to give up when uh, some of these folks came and knocked on her door and said, um, Mary, we'd like to help. And as they looked at her trailer, they were just kind of overwhelmed, weren't really sure where to start, and so they had another idea. Mary had a big storage shed on her property. And they took that storage shed and they converted it into, into a tiny house with um, electric heat and air and running water and a shower and bathroom and little kitchen area, washer dryer hookup, everything she needed. And so Wednesday night, for the first time in a long time, Mary went to bed with a solid roof over her head and a solid floor beneath her feet and running water to wake up to, and electric heat so she didn't have to get up every couple of hours to put another log in the stove. Uh, but more importantly than all of that, Mary went to bed Wednesday night with a renewed sense of hope and a renewed sense of wanting to live for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Give God a hand. That's awesome. <laughs> Ralph... Not only did he not ask us to do that, he didn't even tell us. He didn't call Fox News to come out and video it so we could get credit for it. We didn't do a Facebook blast about all these different pictures of it. He just went and did it. And what's, I don't even know if I told Adam this, but what was interesting is, is that we had five people come today from over there that heard about it, came to our church this morning. Because generosity tells people who God is and what it looks like. Paul says, remember, think of farmers. A farmer who plants only how many seeds will get a small crop. There's a, there's a lot of churches you see that they don't, they don't plant seeds. They, just, they want everybody to fit what they do and how they are. And if you don't do it, then... I was t- talking to somebody the other day, pastor, and he said, I, I'm so frustrated at my people. And I said, what's going on? He said, we had a new family come in and they sat down. And one of our people came up to him and said, you're in my chair. You need to get up. But welcome. What are they planting? That's an example of absolutely not getting it whatsoever. 
The church is not for the 99 that are in the, in the pasture. If, if you're new today, we sang that song, Leave the 99. Jesus talked about leaving the 99, meaning those who know Jesus, know Christ and know Jesus, and going and, and looking for the one that doesn't. The church is not for the 99. The church is, we saw in the announcement about the next step process, the church is to get the sheep in and to begin to, to show them what it looks like to follow Christ and for them to go out and look for more. The sheep is about the one that's not here. The sheep is about that chair that's empty. The gospel is about that chair that's empty. The gospel is about that chair that's empty. And if we're going to see our community come to know Christ... There's going to have to be a lot of ministry that happens that we don't even know about. See, our time is a major way that we demonstrate God's love is real. Does time determine whether you are willing to stop and help the wounded people in your life? Can I just tell you right now, that lady lived in Baxter. That's out of our area. We didn't have to do that. Generosity is more than is expected. There's a lot of things that we don't have to do. But when God's love is filling you, you don't just go over and notice the person that's wounded. You don't even go over and look at him and leave. You don't just go over and... and, and Bandage them up. You get bandaged them up. You put them on your donkey. You take them to some place. You take care of them. Then when you got to go on business, you give people money. If that ain't enough to cover it, I'll go farther. You see, we are called to be generous with our time, even when we don't have it to spare. Let's read that. We are called to be generous with our time. Jesus said that the harvest is great. If you haven't realized this or not, in Crawford County, drugs is a huge problem. We've been praying for a long time to start Celebrate Recovery at our church. We just need the right person to lead it. The average income here in Pittsburgh is under $20,000 a year. There's a lot of poverty here. There are 8,000 students probably off on that. Somebody can give me a better number, but I think it's like 8,000 students at Pittsburgh State, give or take. What I'm saying is the harvest is great. There's people all around. But Jesus says there's a problem. Everybody's busy, so the workers are few. You're tired. You just got home. You don't feel like going and serving. You're tired. So you don't feel like going to small group. You're not going to get anything out of it. And you forget to realize maybe you you need to be there for somebody else. You don't want to get judged. You don't want to share your faith or invite somebody. You don't want to put a scripture on Facebook because that way might. The workers are few. So Jesus says here's a solution. Pray, don't complain. Pray to the Lord of the harvest who is in charge of the har- harvest. You don't need to pray for, for fruit. Fruit's everywhere. Don't pray for fruit. He said pray for workers to go into the fields. 
So for the next three weeks, one of the things I wanted to share with you is that while we're doing some neat things as a church and being generous, we are paper thin with volunteers in every area. If you've ever been new to this church and you got out of your car and you have anxiety and you don't, you've never been here before and, and Janie over there signed up to be a parking lot attendant and she just didn't want to come and so she's not going to call anybody and then you get out of the car and there's no one there. You just don't want to come. You're tired. Or the person who's the volunteer, they really want to be there but they're sick or their kid's sick and there's nobody else that's willing to serve. That's just one example. Folks, we need more workers. If this is your church and you believe in what we're doing and you have a relationship with God, I'd encourage you to consider volunteering. While we celebrate what's going on at the homestead, we've got all kinds of shifts available for people to volunteer at. All you got to do, you can pay your bills while you're there. You can bring your computer. All you have to do is say, welcome home. Would you like some coffee? Welcome home. Would you like some coffee? That's real hard. There's all kinds of volunteers. We've got a lobby out here on Wednesday night where kids are running in and out of here. And they just would be awesome if we had the same hospitality on Wednesday that we do on Sunday. Kid gets off the bus. There's somebody at the door that says, welcome. We love you. Right now when they get off the bus, there's nobody. That's just a few examples. You know what it would cost for you to stand at a door or stand in the lobby and say hello? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. You don't have to stay for every sir, everything. If that's, you could do that. To stand out in the parking lot, even when it's cold. We had a lady the other day. It's been a while back. Single mom, never been here before. Pouring down rain. We had a Paul walked out there with a massive giant umbrella, so that she could just walk in without being wet. What does that say to her? And when we don't do it, what does that say? We've got little cards at the door that you can grab and we've got out in the breezeway in between the children's area and the sanctuary here. We've got a table with Veronica and Michelle there. We've been working on this since late September, October. We have ministry job descriptions for every single ministry already uploaded on the computer. So if you sign up for something, you'll know who your contact is, what your role is, how you can serve. You can go to our website and go under the Give and Serve tab and you can sign up online or if you're not into that, we've got hard copies out at the Welcome Center. You play the guitar? Do you sing? Can you smile? Can you pray? Can you help in the nursery? Can you go to the Lord's Diner? Can you go say hi at the homestead? Can you give some time? Not for me, but for his kingdom. And as we give time, there'll be somebody sitting right there. It's a face, a story that you connected them to because you took your time. Because whether we realize this or not, there are people that no one else can bring but you. I started driving the bus at the school barn. There's a few people that started attending because of that relationship. They aren't here if I didn't if I didn't begin a relationship with them. That's just me. All of us do that. I'm not bragging on myself. Every single one of us does that. 
Some of you do it all the time. What would it look like if we would begin to be generous with our time? This morning as the band comes up, we have the opportunity today to remember why we serve and why we give our time. It's to tell people about Jesus and what he's done for us. Jesus didn't just say some stuff, he did it. He carried his cross. He was nailed to a tree six hours on a Friday, put in a grave. And on Sunday, he resurrected from the dead. And he forever took away the keys of death and and hell and sin. And the reason we, we serve is because people need to know that. When that kid gets off the bus and he sees somebody at the door, not rolling their eyes at him, but smiling at him, that says something about the kingdom of God. When there's people willing to volunteer at the homestead and some student comes in who's struggling with alcoholism and someone smiles at him at the door and says, welcome home, that says something about God. When someone's willing to stand in the parking lot outside of their hour here in the service and they say, hey, have you ever been here before? No, I've got three kids. I don't know which door to go into. And you're there. You actually show up early and you actually care about this and you believe in it. And you say, what can I do to help you? You've got a kid. Okay, you go through that door. That says something about the kingdom of God. When someone walks in, someone took the time to make coffee so that people don't feel because some people have had some bad church experiences and they eat donuts there's actually workers back there that love the kids that they're helping that says something about the kingdom of God Jesus He said on the night when he was betrayed, the the Lord took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and he said, I mean, they had ate lots of times, but this was different. This time when they were eating, he says, hey, that bread is my body. And when you eat it, remember that I'm going to be broken for you. Not just for you guys but for sinners, for people, for liars, for murderers, for thieves. My body's broken for everybody. Later, he took the cup of wine and he says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Folks, as we take communion today, I encourage you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, to not only think about his body being broken for you and his blood being shed for you, but also to think about people who don't know that yet or haven't received that yet. Imagine a year from now or six months from a year from now or whenever, somebody who you never thought in your life 
could ever believe that Christ's body was broken, could ever believe that Christ's blood was shed. Imagine what would happen if you would be generous with your time and they were standing in line with you receiving this. As you take communion, remember what he's done for you. And remember what he calls us to, to be generous with our time. Let's stand together. I hope that's our prayer today. We would surrender all. I was at a conference and they asked this question that's haunted me. And it haunt me, haunts me sometimes, but also is burned in my head. And here's the question that was asked. A bunch of pastors from all over. He asked this question. If your church closed its doors, would your community miss you? If your church closed its doors, would your community miss you? May we go and give our time generously in the community, being salt and light, not needing the credit for it, so that people can see what Jesus looks like. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Father, my prayer is is that we would always be a church that continues to be a pillar in the community. Father, may we be a place that you can trust us to reach lost people. May we continue, Lord, to be a people not about the 99, but about the one. We thank you. Father, raise up workers today, whether they go to the table or they get online or they just begin to pray about that. Send workers into your harvest field. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a blessed Sunday.